up in October. I know a lot of Christian conferences were cancelled this year, but this one is at the Ark Encounter, uh -huh. the Answer Centre. Yeah. And because we have such a big facility there, we have a 2,500 seat auditorium and beautiful big stage and LED screen and so on. So uh, we're going to continue to do this one. Yeah. And we've already got quite a number of people right. who are coming uh, from all across America. But it's not just for pastors and leaders. Actually, anyone can come. Right. But it is what we call. But our we would hope and pastors conference. and leaders would be very interested um, in coming and learning about this information and take it back to their um, congregations because I can't think of really a more relevant topic. Uh, and we're going to have several articles that talk about different issues within sexuality. So we're going to be addressing things like transgenderism and homosexuality and even sexuality, you know, within marriage. You know, right, the rightful place. Um, of sexual relations. And so a lot of those issues that we need to really have a biblical answer for, right? And be able to do that well and not just be able to give biblical answers, but how do we do that lovingly and practically and sharing the gospel with people? And so we want to be able to um, do that well. The Benham brothers are going to be there. So maybe you've heard of the Benham brothers. They had a show on HGTV that then yeah. got canceled um, because they spoke out against the LGBT uh, movement. And so they're going to be there. And so no, they have their own be... ministry, which is really growing. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're great friends. And right. they can be really humorous too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I know one of them calls me, you know, my name is Ken Ham. He calls me Canned Ham. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's that southern, southern that accent. Southern accent. Yeah. Yeah. He can't yeah. help it, really. Yeah. Exactly. By the way, for this conference... One of the things that Answers in Genesis is known for is that we stand on the authority of the Word of God and we judge what people say and believe and think against the absolute authority of the Word of God. And one of the problems we've seen today is that even within the church, there's been a lot of leaders that respond to what the culture is saying and then try to change what God's Word right. is saying instead of the other way around. And we will never waver from standing on the authority of the Word of God. And so... That's what we do at these conferences. We have people who do that to teach, starting from God's word and then judging what's happening in the culture accordingly. Yeah. So, so Nancy up. on uh, YouTube is asking, will it be live streamed? Typically, we've had several of the key sessions live streamed. So well, sure actually, it's going to be, you know, this gives me a little opportunity to talk about something here. It's going to be live streamed through Answers, Answers TV. TV. Yeah. We have our own streaming platform now called Answers.TV. It is absolutely phenomenal. About 2,000 videos on there. Uh, we have actually children's programs. We have conferences. We have teaching programs. We have creationist nature programs. Yeah. Uh, we have a specialist doing that. Buddy Davis does programs. Uh, out P. and about programs. I hear there's and, a oh, you do cool science experiments. Science programs on yeah, there too. Yeah, cool well. science programs with yeah. Roger. Science experiments. Uh, we have music, There's we have Spanish programs, Arabic programs. It is phenomenal. And yeah. if you subscribe for a year, it's only just over $3 US a month. Right, right. And you get it anywhere in the world. It is a phenomenal streaming platform. So we encourage people, hey, you know what? I know a lot of people have Netflix and, and uh, Disney Plus and so on. But the more people who support us as a ministry that honors God's right. word and what we're doing there, it can help us to be able to continue uh, to add programs and so that'll yeah. happen. So Georgie, you got this first All right, our item. first article. So we always have a fun one to start off with. Um, two massive pythons fall through Australian man's ceiling. Okay, so I picked this because I knew Ken was going to be on today. And so basically there were two apparently male snakes that, uh, that were fighting, they think, over a female snake. 
which they never found, um, that were fell through. And I converted their weights to weights that us Americans would understand. <laughs> 22 pounds was the size of one of the snakes, nine and a half feet long. Yeah, nine and a okay, half feet now long. I, want uh, your, I want you all to understand something. Okay? Oh, here we go. Dr. Purdom is American. She yes. thinks this is news. I'm an Australian. Why is this news? <laughs> I don't even get, look. Somebody, somebody sent me this on Facebook. It's very, very true. Okay. And what it says here, what foreigners are scared of in Australia, the poisonous snakes, the poisonous spiders, the poisonous, you know, all the other creatures Nasty that we koalas? have. <laughs> Australians are more scared of magpies. That's what we're scared of. Because in the mating season, they dive bomb you. Oh, okay. I mean, that's, that, that's something that we would be yeah. you know, worried I'm about. I'm still more scared poisonous of Poisonous snakes and spiders and poisonous <laughs> jellyfish. I mean, that's every day. Why would we be worried about? I, uh, I don't even understand why you had this as a. Because I didn't grow so up a couple in of big Australia. Snakes, <laughs> snakes live in most Australian houses in the ceilings. I mean, we you know, yeah. they yeah. eat that the rats was, and things that, like that. That's a very interesting point. They said that uh, this. Uh, I guess he's kind of an animal capture expert. Said statistically, one in three houses in Queensland, Australia, has one in the roof. Of course. So uh, it, keep, it keeps the rats down, yeah, the mice down. I, can I mean, that. you know. Okay, so here's here's another statement. Let's see how many of you agree with this. A lot of carpet pythons that are seen, people like to have around their house. They don't mind that they're in their ceilings or anything like that because it's nature's rodent trap. Rather than using poisons in that, they'd rather have a snake in there. See, we're good Raise environmentalists. You'd rather have a snake. We are good environmentalists. In That's what it's all about. You know, biological control. I really don't mind. It's a good example of biological control. But I think my wife would have. Well, quite I don't the mind that. Now we this. have a rat snake that eats um, that we know is around our barn, and we yeah. see it every so once in a while. I am perfectly happy happy for that rat snake to be there. I just don't want it in my house, okay? That's the key. It can I control see the rodent population from outside my house. Now, sometimes you have Australians watching, and I want to see if an Australian is going to put a comment about this. See if they agree with comedy. me that this is really not news. Okay. It's just, well, all right. it's just a typical isn't. American freaking out over <laughs> an Australian snake. So that's, okay. that's, that's what it is. All right. Well, we're going to talk about another Australian animal, and this is the dingo, the elusive dingo. And um, so this article talks about how kind of confusing dingoes are um, from the sense of they're not really a domestic dog, but they're not really a wild dog. Um, they're sort of a somewhere in between dog. And, and people are fascinated, actually scientists are fascinated with dogs and how they became domesticated and when they became domesticated and all of that. And so this is kind of another look at where, what is the origin of this particular dog um, species, basically? But they like to use the word evolution a lot. So they use that word evolution over and over and over again. Well, how did the dingo evolve? Well, the dingo didn't evolve, right? The dingo is just a member of the dog kind, um, and it's a species, um, actually a subspecies of domestic dog and wolf. Um, it's Canis lupus dingo. And so, but it's not something dramatically different from yeah, other dogs. And as they think about this, this creature, the real question that comes up is trying to understand its history. Was this a feral animal or truly a wild animal? So when we think about feral, those would be things that have been domesticated and then escaped into the wild. So in the southwest of the U.S., there are wild burrow populations, but they were really ones that were owned by people and domesticated and now are out roaming free. So we think of those things as feral. Uh, the cats that have spread across Australia, feral cats roaming everywhere and here in the United States, they were domesticated and now they're out living in the wild. Or were these truly always a wild species? So that's one right. of the things they're trying to tease out as they uh, examine this 
this uh, information. Yeah, you know what? Look, look at this article. Look. See, I knew you'd see, complain. See all these pages. I had to read through all this. And you know at the end, do you know what I realized? Dogs produce dogs. <laughs> That's what it's in an article about. Yeah, but it is an it interesting... It says a dingo is a dog. It is an interesting It's related to dogs. Question, though. And dogs always produce dogs. Okay. But it's, it's about dogs. But it's still an interesting question to find out where the dingo sort of came from. They it think came it may from come, other dogs. It may, it may have come from Asian populations of dogs that look similar um, to it. But what's kind of interesting, though, is they talk about how did the dingo get there? Because the dingo is a, a placental, it's, it's a mammal. You know, it's not a marsupial like um, koalas and things like that. And so they try to give, there's a lot of evolutionary, so to speak, assumptions behind that and trying to figure that out. Um, but again, we know it's not an issue from a creation perspective that maybe this dog was brought to Australia. Maybe it... It went to Australia on land bridges after the flood. We don't really know, but it made it to Australia, and it's not. It's, a it's been very, very much associated with the Australian Aboriginals. Right. But I tell you what, you do have to be careful. There's, there's a, a famous movie based on a true story in Australia called "Cry in the Night," Cry in the night. and it was about a family that were out in Australia. I remember this happening when I was in Australia, and all that went along with that. But. Uh, there's a family camping near Ayers Rock, mm. and uh, the lady had a little baby, and uh, suddenly um, we heard that uh, she said a dingo took the baby. Oh. Well, because of all the environmentalists in Australia and so on, they didn't want um, people to think that a dingo had done that, uh -huh. and she actually was accused of murdering the child, wow. and uh, then she was put in jail Why? until they found out uh, a few years later, they actually found the baby's clothes in a dingo lair and so on, and then she was let out of prison and all the rest of it. But it's just interesting how... Well, there's a lovely that, story, Ken. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, well, I'm telling you a real story about the <laughs> dingo, but uh, she was... Because of just because right. of they looked on the dingo as sort of right, sacred right. and didn't, yeah. didn't want it to be. You seen. get that impression yeah. from this article, definitely yeah. that they it's are almost worshipped. Highly, you know? yeah, yeah. And as we think about where they came from, it's very likely that animals like this and others were brought aboard boats as the mm -hmm. people were spreading out after Babel and finding new places to live. They brought new animals with them to these places. Right. We find things like pigs on these islands in Oceania where they couldn't really get there. Pigs aren't great swimmers right. and they're not going to be able to swim to those islands. So they're likely brought there they, they by, float either, by I boats. Don't think. <laughs> and uh, all of those things are, are helpful for us to think about from a biblical perspective. Right. We would expect dog-like creatures who are uh, good companions for humans or for, are helpful for hunting and other types of uh, scavenging and things as people are spreading out after Babel, we'd expect those things to go with them. And the time frames that they give here are very interesting. Mm -hmm. They put dingo fossils around 4,000 years ago, the earliest dingo fossils. And other time frames they give, of course, they're looking at 55 to 65,000 years for people spreading out of Africa and settling these different right. areas, which are well beyond what we think of in the biblical time frame. But well, still, people didn't spread out of Africa. Support. They spread out of the Middle East. From the biblical perspective, absolutely. And yeah, had to be... Have to reject uh, that. Yeah, and within the last 4,300 years, because Noah's flood was 4,000 right. It makes a lot more ago. sense, this understanding this, actually from a biblical perspective, than it does an evolutionary perspective. That's why they raise so many questions, because they can't understand it very well with their assumptions and their ideas about the past, but we can when we start with the Bible. But Ken is right. They're part of the dog kind. They can interbreed with <laughs> other dogs, yeah. um, domestic dogs that get out, and they have 
just like we have koi dogs here in America, they would have and when, and and when breeding. people here or anyone goes to the Ark, and I know mm -hmm. some of the guests here have already been to the Ark, uh, some of our studio audience, some are going to the Ark tomorrow, we have on the second deck, actually, an exhibit about kinds, and specifically on the dog kind, mm -hmm. and showing you only need two dogs on the Ark to give rise to all right. the uh, varieties that we have, because God put the maximum genetic uh, diversity right. in each in kind, when kind. he created mm -hmm. each kind, and yeah. so... It helps answer that question, how many animals right. are on the ark. Right. By the way, one, one particular comment I had here, somebody said, can't wait till the new Fearfully and Wonderfully Made exhibit is over. We're watching and it. And <laughs> just outside this room, I'm sure the people that are here saw curtains around there. Uh -huh. I believe it's going to be the most powerful pro-life, anti-abortion exhibit you'll see anywhere in the world. And our designers actually produced all the models of the development of a baby in a mother's womb and they are outstanding because we couldn't find yeah. anything in the world that was the quality yeah. we needed yeah. or wanted They're amazing. and then ultrasounds and so it's it's going to be phenomenal uh exhibit so that opens at the end of september yeah. yep so probably around about the 25th <laughs> of september yeah. something like that the 24th or 25th yeah yep. yeah so um yeah. Uh, people will have to come back for that. So Definitely. all of you that are here, you've got to come back. <laughs> all you people from Wisconsin yeah. and North Dakota and Iowa and all the other places, you have to come <laughs> back for that. All right. Amazon Ben's book, Outlining Health Hazards of Homosexuality. So um, this is a book that was called Health Hazards of Homosexuality, which is a 600-page book in which an organization known as Mass Resistance basically um, got information, compiled data from major medical groups um, and the Centers for Disease Control and other sources, and said these are some of the dangers associated with um, the LGBT lifestyle, okay, from a, from a sort of a disease standpoint and some of these other things that can happen as a result of that. And so it's confirming evidence of the truth of God's word, obviously, because we already know that those things are not good um, there's their sin, starting with God's word. But they have removed it because the, they say that the information or the content is considered offensive. And this has been going on for some time with Amazon. This isn't the first instance of this. But over and over again, we see them removing these kinds well, of things. It says in here, Amazon discontinued a number of uh, books by a few authors who once identified as gay or lesbian and told their stories of leaving their life in exchange right. for following Christ. And, you know, as you look at this, I mean, it's a private company, right? Roger has a right to do whatever it wants to do. And we have a right to either purchase from them or not yeah. purchase them or whatever. But how long before you think they'll actually ban the Bible? Because the Bible has very explicit statements yeah. about <laughs> homosexual behavior and yeah. about marriage and so on. So how long before they say, well, we're not going to sell that to you? Right. Yeah. Right. And as Ken mentioned, we have to remember this is a private company. And just as we want cake bakers and photographers and others to have the freedom to say no to serving clients that they don't agree with their sexual positions or those types of things. Um, we would also affirm that right for Amazon, but just a reminder that it is, it is certainly this, this business's goal to censor these things. They don't want these ideas getting out. Uh, likely a lot of pressure either from within or from outside the company from groups who are organizing to fight against those things. And we see this happening right now with Netflix around the Cuties film and those types of things from the other side. So as we consume, we have to uh, think about who we're buying from and consider those things carefully and do that wisely and in a way that's gonna honor God. You know, one of the things we've heard a lot of in the news lately, and it's true, because we have our own struggles. We don't even 
you know, tell people some of the battles we have with social media, but whether it's Facebook or YouTube or mm -hmm. Twitter or whatever's happening out there, they're, they're censoring uh, what a lot of people are saying oh, yeah. and they suppress certain things that you uh, post and so on too. So there's a lot of censorship going on in Which our culture. Which is why we right have now. things like Answers TV and we have these platforms that we can do this on without that fear of censorship. And it, it's really a call for Christians to start these types of, you know, streaming platforms or social media platforms or whatever, because it is only a matter of time till we're not able to be on those and, anymore. And, so. and actually, it's one of the good things if we can say there was a, anything good that came out of the right. uh, COVID-19 shutdown. Yeah. And that is one of our supporters who talked to us and said, let's build our own streaming platform. And we were able to. It was just an absolute miracle, actually, yeah. we could do that. Yeah. And it's a phenomenal platform, high quality. But we realized we could be shut down mm -hmm. on certain, mm -hmm. certain social media platforms or certain of our videos removed and so on, because we right. know that's happening. Yeah. So yeah. we wanted to make sure that we had something uh, for people. And this next article kind of goes right along with this. Um, it says, Pastor told not to offend gay pride as mob threatened to burn down his church. So um, this is Pastor Josh Williamson, who all of us actually know and met. We've talked with yeah, him Yeah, he's before. an Australian, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's from Australia, but he's actually in um, Cornwall um, right now and has a church there. In, in England. In England, yeah, okay. Cornwall's England. I know it is. Yeah, but... Okay, okay. I assumed other people knew that, too. All right, I, so it's I, in England. I just assumed they didn't. All right. <laughs> So basically, um, there was going to be a Cornwall uh, Pride Parade, and so, uh, but it was canceled because of the pandemic. And so he had responded on the Cornwall Pride Facebook page, wonderful news. And that's what set everything off, right? And so then they're accusing him of, um, they, they actually, it's a lot of bullying that was going on online. It was a lot of things to make him look bad, things that he hadn't even said or done um, to try to make him look worse and, and those things. And it just kind of went back and forth, but eventually got to the point where they, some of these people that were with the LGBT community that were saying they were going to, they were threatening his life, his family's life, and they wanted to burn down their church. But the yep. police don't really care. And by the way, the one of the reasons that Josh, and I know Josh personally, right. mm -hmm. one of the reasons that he put wonderful when they canceled the gay pride parade is because their church had actually been praying, praying. that that parade would be canceled. Mm -hmm. And if you actually then look at anything else that he said on social media, it's not obnoxious. No, it's, it's not, not. hate he speech, but he's accused of hate speech. He's accused <laughs> yeah. of hate speech by people who have been threatening his family yeah. and threatening to burn down his church. Yeah. And yeah. Th th that's not hate speech. Double standard. But, and yep. What he was doing was quoting scripture. And as the reason he says, because I don't think sin should be celebrated. If we're going to have a, a parade that flaunts all of these sins in the eyes of God and in the, in the face of the community, that's a celebration of those things. And as Christians, we should be praying against those things. We should be hoping that those things are not celebrated in the culture. And the, uh, along with the bullying and all of those things that are happening, uh, Pastor Williamson was willing to sit down and engage with these people and talk with them. And in the heart of that, and I've known him for years as well and acquainted in different circles. I know that his heart is for sharing the gospel, that right. he knows that the gospel is the hope of releasing these people from their bondage to sin 
And instead of being slaves to their sin, he wants them to be slaves to Christ. And he's right. sharing that gospel message in the middle of this through literature and the things that he's and, saying. And when he sat down with them, he gave them a sheet of his reasons, right. you know, based upon the Bible, why he says what he does. But then they went and took that and made it look like he was distributing this everywhere right. in the community, which is yeah. not true. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it, it's sad to see their reaction. Actually, I think what is even more sad, I mean... From the world, you sort of expect that sort of opposition. You know, that shouldn't surprise us. But here's one of the posts that someone put up who's a Baptist pastor in the United Kingdom who says, I was so sorry to read this story this morning. Please know this man, talking about Josh, does not speak for all Christians. And as far as I'm concerned, does not speak for God in this. I'm a Baptist minister elsewhere in the country, and I many of us are working hard to reach against such hate and make amends where we can. Here are some of the messages of my previous church. So a message of repentance which, which calls on all people to turn from their sin and trust in Christ is, is a hate. message of hate yeah. in right. the eyes of this Baptist pastor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I get people going on my Facebook all the time <laughs> and saying things to me like, uh, you know, if, if I critique someone like, Pelosi right. uh, as a politician for supporting abortion or whatever. They, they say that I shouldn't be doing that, that I should just show love toward them. And, and they accuse me of hate speech. But They'd the, accuse Jesus of hate yeah. speech. Well, but the most loving thing you can do is to speak the truth in love. That's the most loving thing you can do is to tell someone that they're in sin and that without Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. I mean, so it's not, it's not hate speech. It's love speech is what it really is. It's just not love as defined by the world, right? right. It's love as defined by God's word. And so that's, they're missing that foundation. Well, it's, it's, it's like the watchman that you read about in Ezekiel. You know, if, if you know something that's true and you don't warn them, right. then, the then you're going to be held accountable. Yeah, the blood yeah. will be on your head. Yeah. So it's a reminder to all of us. We need to be watching. We need to do it. And we're going to face opposition. Jesus said we would. We should not be surprised at these things, and but we have to keep doing them but, because we're to do God's work. But we're also reminded them. in Scripture to do it in a loving way, right. and a gentle way. Yeah. Uh, and so on, but but you can do do it authoritatively mm -hmm. because we have the right. word of God. We right. speak authoritatively because we have the absolute authority of the word of God. Right. I, you know, I'm reminded of what happened. You know, as Jesus, as the God Man, mm -hmm. they were astonished at his teaching because he spake right. as one having authority, not as the scribes. And when we speak authoritatively, that's when we're often accused of hate speech because we speak authoritatively from Scripture, and that is not hate yeah. speech. And uh, Simon Turpin from our UK ministry interviewed Josh. And so you can find more about yeah, that on the AIG UK good. Facebook mm -hmm. page and, and get a little bit more of the backstory of all that happened. Yep. All right. Next article. By losing genes, life often evolved more complexity. So, so Roger Wait and I are going to sit here and listen to this because, <laughs> because this is all about genetics. Uh, no, right? I, okay, I, but, I love genetics. And if you've never... Well, he can it, understand I'm on, it. I'm on Georgia's side. Okay, on this all right. Yeah, sorry. He's a biologist. If you've right. never, if you never studied genetics, if you're married and have kids, you study genetics. So okay. You, that, now you're ready to listen. Okay, I'm ready all to right. listen. All right. So basically, what they're going to say is that um, by reducing genetic complexity and reducing the number of genes that animals have or things have, that's allowed them to evolve into something different. 
and more complex. And that's more complex. Which doesn't make any sense. A lot of information means something can evolve more complexity. Yeah. That's what this article but that's says. All they, but the thing is, is and this, the reason I think they're doing it, and I see this over and over again, I've seen articles like this before, that's the observable evidence, right? Things are losing things. They're not gaining things. So they have to try to make that work. For evolution, basically, they've got to try to twist it and uh, rename it. You know, it's all semantics and try to make it sound good. Like, oh yeah, these things lost genes, and that's how the dinosaurs evolved into birds or whatever. And yeah. they're like, and you can oh. hear the See? language. They're specifically trying to target the idea of irreducible complexity right. mm -hmm. as they put out these things, and trying to present it in a way that makes sense from. Uh, the fact that you're losing these certain genes and that allows you to uh, adapt in these certain environments and benefit you more. So you're actually more complex. Well, that just doesn't make sense on multiple Well, levels. think about it from a creationist perspective. God creates all kinds of land, animals, sea creatures, flying creatures. He creates all life and puts maximum genetic diversity in them so that over time, you can get all these Adapting variations. I mean, look at all the humankind. Think, think of, you know, 8 billion people on Earth almost, right. and all the genetic diversity that's there. God puts all this genetic diversity, and like in the dog kind, the cat kind, right. and they go on the ark, and then they come off, and then you get all these different uh, species within a kind. But what the evolutionists acknowledge is, over time, we seem to be losing information. Right. Right? Whereas evolution should be gaining information. Right. But, they, but again, that's what they see. And what we're really seeing, most of the cases they talk about here are merely just, I mean, speciation within a kind, all right? Or <laughs> they're talking about things that are based on stories that they think are true, like land animals becoming whales and saying, oh, look at the genes they lost. Uh, they were never there in the first place yeah, they're uh, because they're totally separate the kinds yeah. that were created with that. But what gets me too about this article is over and over again, they talk about how evolution creatively dealt with this situation, how it experimented with it. And I'm like, wait a minute, evolution is not a thinking entity. Evolution cannot be creative. Evolution cannot experiment. Evolution can't do anything, all right? Because it doesn't have a mind. Yeah, so we've got the, <laughs> the fallacy of begging the question. They're Ugh. assuming an evolutionary history to explain these. We've got the fallacy what? of reification right. by ascribing these human characteristics to evolution. So even the foundation of their argument, just from a basic logic perspective, is entirely flawed. Well, you know, when you get a kind like the dog kind, two dogs come off the ark, with the genetic diversity that's there over time as they spread out and you get different species, you lose information. Right. You can get new combinations of information, mm -hmm. but you can get loss of, of information. Genetic like, variety. Like, mm -hmm. And, you know, we do artificial selection and we end up with, like, dogs like poodles that don't right. have much information left. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, but you look at that, right, and they look at that and say, this is evolution. But, that's, but evolution's the opposite in yeah. the sense that evolution requires new information to be generated right. by matter. So they're equivocating, I mean, like, the terms evolution with, with adaptation and things like that, yes. or speciation that we actually see. And so it's, it's really a problem, and they want to use examples like, oh, look at what the yeast can do. You know, they lost this gene and they regained it. I'm like, yeah, it's a yeast, okay? It's bacteria. You're dealing also with bacteria and stuff. We can't do horizontal gene transfer, which is what they can do. We, I can't transfer my genes to Roger's genes, okay? It doesn't work that way. But so, they're, and then it, so they use examples of things that aren't even relevant to what they're actually trying to prove or support. 
It's so, just, it's a great example of how, if we think about it, um, I wrote down a little phrase that I kind of made up here. It's, it's designed resiliency. God has right. programmed into the genetic code the ability to adapt and adjust in these different environmental conditions. Now, the creature isn't actively doing these things. It's right. something that we can attribute to God and the way he initially designed them and the way they go into new habitats and face those new challenges. God's given the ability to, to adapt and be very resilient in those things. Well, at the end, it's interesting. They end up by saying things are so complex that they don't really understand what's going on. <laughs> That's basically what the paper's all yeah. about. Yeah. So, all right, we got time for another one here. ET missing? Astronomers come up empty looking for technological signs of life in 10 million star systems. All right. So every so once in a while, we have to do one of these just to remind people that we have not found life elsewhere, and we most likely will not because the earth was formed to be inhabited. The Bible tells us that, not other places. And yet, they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to find life elsewhere, and they always come up empty. And I just have to point out, for Ken's sake, these were astronomers in Australia for this study. <laughs> Okay, they may be astronomers in Australia. I want to show you what some Americans did. Okay, so... Oh, no, here we go. So here we go. <laughs> I put this in deliberately. I, but, knew, I knew you would. See, I wrote an article a few years ago, and I said, I don't believe there's any aliens in outer space. It's a waste of time looking for extraterrestrial life, uh, but particularly human mm -hmm. life or, or you intelligent, know, intelligent life, yeah. life, because if you think about it, God's son stepped into history to be Jesus Christ, the God-man, to be a descendant of Adam, Adam, to die for the descendants of Adam and remains as our savior, the God-man, uh, to be our savior. He didn't step into history to be the god Klinon, right? but the God-man. And I said, it wouldn't make a sense that there's other races of intelligent beings in our space when the whole universe is suffering from Adam's sin. It's all going to be judged by fire, new heavens, new earth. They can't have salvation. Right. So I said, from a gospel perspective, that doesn't make sense. So this is what some Americans <laughs> did when they read my article uh -huh. and then published it in the news media. Yep, I remember. And here's what Huffington Post said. Creationist Ken Ham says aliens will go to hell, so let's stop looking for them. <laughs> Well, that's right? pretty much what you said, then, isn't it? And then the Courier Journal, the Courier Journal, which is a secular newspaper in from Louisville. Louisville. Yeah, which, the Courier Journal said, Ken Ham, forget aliens, going to hell anyway. <laughs> it's amazing how they can. I didn't even mention distort, hell, and the whole the yeah. whole point of the article was I didn't believe in aliens. <laughs> but, but yet they. But you know what that reminds me of? What's happening today yeah. with news in regard to politics and so mm -hmm. on? All the fake things. They, they do. That. They've been doing this to us for years. Now yeah. they're doing it to politicians, and the, and uh, some of these politicians are starting to figure out that they're right. doing. But fake yet news. they keep doing these studies, right? And even at the end of this article, it talks about other studies that were done that said the universe should be teeming with life, and it's the favored bet, and it could be common. No, it can't be. Now, I mean, you've searched how much, and you've not found a thing. Science with no uh, confirming evidence. data. We keep yeah. saying this over and over. It's not science. Though. They're spending millions and millions of dollars because man is in such rebounding against God. Right. He doesn't want to believe in creation. And so they're saying there has to be life in our space. Right. It evolved on right. Earth. It had to evolve it there. We've got to find that if, they've, if they found one little bacterium, they'd say, see, it disproves the Bible yeah. or something. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're desperate. Yeah. I think we have time for one more. Can we do we this do? last Yeah, one? let's hit this Let's last do one. it. All right. 
California um, passed this bill to soften criminal penalty, penalties for LGBT adults who have sex with minors. So basically, and this was in the news a lot, and really what I see this more as in, in looking at it is this is more just um, a softening and more of a step towards pedophilia. So basically what this is saying is that if there's a 10-year age difference between um, the two people that had sex and one of them is a minor, that the judges need to consider um, whether or not that's a sex offense and whether that person should be registered on the sex offender list. So a 14-year-old who has sex with a 24-year-old, well, maybe you shouldn't be that hard on the 24-year-old. Yeah, and as I read through the, through the law and tried to understand all the pieces, and there are, the, there are three tiers. There's either a 10-year, a 20-year, or a lifetime listing on that list. And this would open up discretion for the judge, depending on the, the circumstances of the case, to not force that person to be registered as a sex offender. Now, this is very helpful information for people who are living in communities. It's readily available on the internet and those things. Uh, you can know who in your neighborhood is involved in the, has been involved in those activities and uh, committed those crimes in the past. And that can be helpful information for us as parents and grandparents knowing those things. So this law would eliminate those types of things. So that 23-year-old man who lives down the street might be a sexual predator, and I wouldn't know that as a father because right. this judge decided, oh, well, the, the girl said it was okay, so we're not going to do right. it, even though she was only 15 years old. Right. So the idea that statutory rape, as we typically call this, uh, is no longer a, an offense that okay. has to be registered is very concerning. Yeah. Yeah, and this is California Governor Newsom signed this. Yes. Uh, and I, you know, think about the fact that when you take generations and tell them the God, the Bible's not true, and once you reject the foundation of God's word, I mean, the founding fathers are the Christian or respected. God's word and the Judeo-Christian ethic that came from the Bible permeated the culture. Yeah. But once you get rid of that foundation, yeah. anything goes. And that and idea of it the statutory rape statutes was intended to follow along those biblical ideals. And now we're seeing a normalization of fornication and normalizing LGBT sins. All of these things, it's just a, it's a continuing push to drive us off the cliff. And uh, I believe it was... Billy Graham said something along the lines of that America needs to ask forgiveness and if, Sodom, if they're not judged and, and Sodom and Gomorrah was because there's such a, it's such a clear parallel between what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah and what's happening here in the West. And you know what, we, we've gone over time just a little bit, but let me just say, we need to be reminded of something. God didn't just judge the nation of Israel. Right. He judged nations because they rebelled against him. Yeah. And, you know, then there were nations like Nineveh, where in that generation, when, when Jonah was there, who did repent. And then God didn't judge them as he said he was going to. But later on, they, they, did, know, face that they did face that judgment because then generations after them rebelled against God. So there's many instances in the Bible of God judging right. the nations because they have rejected him. Uh, I believe that's what's happening in America right, right now. Romans 1, look at that. That's happening before yeah. our very eyes. And think yeah. of all the catastrophes going on. I think, right. Which is why we exist as a ministry. Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. we want to help people know the truth of God's word from the very first verse and to get equipped and to be able to challenge the culture, right, um, with these ideas and, and to spread the gospel effectively in the world that we live in today. So, all right, we're out of time. So, all right, time. we'll see you back here on Wednesday. God bless.
Well, thank you all so much for coming out to.